Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, we just want to thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here and worship you together. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to tell us. May we leave here different than when we came in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. Good morning. Hydraulics are working. That's good. Um, so my name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor of Church at the Well. I'm glad that you're here. If you're new, welcome. I feel very echoey. Echo, no? Um, anyway, I don't know. Um, I'm glad that you're here. We've been preaching through the book of Titus for a while now, and we're actually, we've done two more Sundays. So today and next week, and we'll finish this up. And then we have a one-off, and then we'll be moving into the book of Ecclesiastes, which is really fascinating. Um, I think it's time to do some Old Testament, so I'm excited about that. Um, Last week, if you were here, you saw Pastor Chad from South Carolina. One of our partner churches in um, South Carolina was here, and he preached. And he did a great job. Um, He brought us up to this point. And uh, this has been an interesting week to study this passage. This is all gospel, Right, And as I process this, like if you've been coming to church at the well very long, you know that every single message that you'll hear here is going to have the gospel of Jesus in it consistently because that's what we do. Right? It's all about Jesus. But in this specific passage, it's really interesting because I think Paul does a really good job of breaking down the essentials of the gospel. It's like... He provides the why, the how, and the what of the gospel in very interesting doctrine. And so if you're new here today, or maybe you've just, you know, you're trying to figure out church world, like what is this thing? Somebody invited me, I get lunch afterwards, that's a great reason to come. Um, What you're going to get to hear today is the essence of everything that a Christ follower believes. It boils down into these very simple verses. And so I I don't want to give it a whole bunch of pomp and circumstance. Oftentimes people will come and say like, hey, that was a great sermon. And I'm like, hey, we have great material, right? So as long as we don't veer from Scripture, then we're going to be fine. In this specific aspect, there's no reason to to kind of show this up. It's, It's just a beautiful text. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Titus chapter 3. I hope that you'll follow along. If you're new, once again, we don't put verses on the screen because I don't want you to open your Bible. Um, Starting at verse 4, it starts with the word but. I get in trouble. I've gotten in trouble for saying this before because I like buts. Um, Buts in scriptures are different and the scripture are different, right? When we see the word but in scripture... Oftentimes, what we want to do is go back to the previous verses because it's going to make some sort of a comparison for us. So I always tell people, circle the butts because typically good news is coming, right? So last week, Pastor Chad ended with what it looked like before we knew Jesus. Like, what were we slaves to? 
All, if, you, if you are here today and you've given your life to Christ, you know what you were before that. You know what you struggled with. You know what the guilt that was there. You know the pain. Scripture makes it very clear that without Jesus, we're slaves to sin. A slave is an individual who has no choice whatsoever. Um, we were individuals who followed our own passions, who ultimately just lived a life of utter destruction. Isn't it interesting that the human race will do everything it can to destroy itself knowing that it's destroying itself? I just find that fascinating, right? We know things, certain things are bad for us, but we do them anyway. It's interesting. I mean, I have a dog who is sometimes smarter than me, right? If this dog eats something and they throw it up, do you know when I try to feed the dog that again, it, the dog won't eat it? I mean, we have a smart dog. Some dogs aren't like that, <laughs> right? I eat it every time. Like there's moments when I was thinking about what Pastor Chad was talking about last week, it's fascinating to me that I know oftentimes the consequences of a decision that I make or something that I participate in or just thought process that I go through and I'll still take myself through it. And if, if you're here today and that like sounds really familiar, one of the beautiful things about the gospel is it's intended to break that cycle. It doesn't mean that everything gets perfect. It doesn't mean that you won't be tempted. It doesn't even mean that you're not going to blow it because we still blow it all the time. But what it does mean is that you're no longer a slave to it. There's a choice, right? And so as he was talking about that, we get to this moment where we end with, man, this is who you were before Jesus. And then we get this but that shows up and he begins this way. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... This is kind of the why of the gospel. I struggle with this one. Like when I'm real and I'm in these vulnerable moments, if you know me very well, you know that I tend to be emotional. Um, I don't understand why Jesus would save me. I don't. I don't get it. Like if you like me, great, right? You might go, well, yeah, you're okay. And, you know, you might be save worthy. Just in you know, like who you are, your character, the, the person that you are, you seem pretty nice, whatever it is. But I know what goes on inside my own heart. I know what I think. I know what I process. You know, there's moments, like somebody, people say to me sometimes, like, Kevin, you never really seem to get angry. Like, anger is not one of those things that I struggle with. But if you see me angry, get out. <laughs> right? Like, it's rare. My wife, who I've been married to for 26 years, would probably tell you she's seen me angry maybe five times. So it's, it's rare, right? But the thought process of anger is constant. There's a, a conversation or something transpires or huh, yesterday, or no, it's on the train a few days ago, I actually had to intervene with somebody who I thought was abusing a woman. And I did it calmly, but internally I was angry, right? Deal with, we, we deal with these things. It's, it's, it's hard to understand why creator God would want to have any type of relationship with me at all. And I think 
it's not intended that like saying that is not intended for us to belittle ourselves or not find value in ourselves because obviously being a created being in the image of God, we have value. But it is there and it should remain there so that we have this component of awe and disbelief. Because God functions different than I do. God functions different than culture. Right? You say something you're not supposed to say in culture. It's called cancel culture now, right? So you've been canceled. We went and saw this comedian the other day, or last week, and, and he said, um, I've already been canceled, so now I can say whatever I want. Right? And I'm like, man, that's pretty cool. God doesn't cancel anyone. You have people in your life who you've had relationship with, and that relationship has become broken. Right? Everybody has these. In fact, you can have moments where it's like, I'm going to go to the store and I'm just praying that the Lord won't put me in front of a person, right? Whoever that is for you. And if you haven't thought of anybody, they're probably thinking of you, right? God doesn't do that. Like, I don't, I don't grasp that. It's hard to understand the why. But when we look at passages like this, it begins to break it down for us in language that we can understand, even if we don't understand the motive behind it. So it says, you know, you were, this is who you were, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God. Why does God choose to save? Because, first of all, He's good. We don't, we don't use the word good the same way that Scripture uses the word good. You know, I'll, I'll walk by somebody or I'll introduce somebody. I'll be like, hey, this is a really good guy. And from a Scripture standpoint, they're not. Right? But in our human language, I'm going, this is a good guy. Or that's really good. Or this is... When it says that God is good... It's describing his entire character, his whole essence, his whole being. It means that he has nothing but good in him. So when I introduce somebody and I'm like, hey, this is a really good guy. you got to meet this person. I'm not saying he's perfect. I'm not saying that he's got all of these amazing qualities or he doesn't have flaws. What I am saying is that I've seen some things in him that I like. That's good, Right? That's not how we look at God's goodness. God's goodness is He is always good. And he, yes, God is awesome, but it's fascinating that He chooses to use the word good. Right? Like, we try to trump good all the time. How was your meal? It was amazing. Right? Oh, it was awesome. God would be like, no, it's good. Like, think about creation, the creation story right? God made a giraffe. That was good. It's good. The word good in Scripture can only be used for God, and in every place in Scripture, it only revolves around something that's purely in His character. There's not a single person in Scripture who was ever called good. Isn't that interesting? The goodness of God... 
as a young kid, I remember growing up in church world, and I, you know, I would go to this, the, you had this thing called Sunday school. And if, it doesn't really exist here, but if you, have, if you grew up in that, you know what I'm talking about, it was like school on Sunday, which automatically as a kid went, well, this is dumb. Like, the, the whole point of a Sunday is not to go to school. We need to change. This needs to be remarketed, right? Like, this is bad marketing. But as a kid, so you would go and you would subject yourself to Bible stories in the same manner that school was subjecting you to education. So you were, you were learning Scripture, you are memorizing Scripture, you were talking about stories, so on and so forth. And I, I think that as I grew up in that and processing I didn't really grasp the fact that everything I was hearing was grounded in the goodness of God. There were times where I was like, man, that sounds harsh. Have you read the Old Testament? It's intense. God, so, I mean, there's moments where God's like, you're going to go in and wipe out an entire people group and make sure all the animals are dead also. And I'm like, is that good? Like as a kid, you're like, oh, don't kill the bunnies, right? But everything that God does is good. I, I think as I'm getting older and hopefully wiser over time, what I'm realizing is that the only good that I see is really anything that God is a part of. So if you see good in me, you don't really see me, you see God working in me. Because I can't be good. Right? So when we talk about the goodness of God, I, I, I'm just processing okay, the why. Why does God save people? Because he's good. And you're just like, well, that seems really basic. No, it's way beyond basic. He's good. Is God love? Yes. Is he, but he's good. He's always good. It's, it's one of his attributes. There's no point ever in history in God's existence where he's not been good. But there are moments in my life when I don't think he is. I was talking to somebody last week that said, I feel distant from God. And I said, well, then why'd you move? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I go, we have a good God. If you feel distant from God, it's because you move, not him. He doesn't move. Another person said, you know, I, I'm struggling discerning the will of God in my life. And I'm like, you realize that God's good and he doesn't hide his will from you, right? This isn't a mystery. He doesn't, he's not like, huh, I have a will for you and good luck finding out what it is. Just keep wandering. He actually has a book that he wrote about his will. He's good. He doesn't, there's a, a, a theology right now called open deism that's actually being, this is so nerdy, I'm sorry. It's called open deism and it's being taught at some seminaries right now and it's basically like, okay, God created and then he kind of stepped back. And he's just kind of, you know, we're all an experiment and he's just kind of watching what we're going to do. He doesn't really know. But he's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Wow, that's awesome. Oh, whoa, right? That's not good. He's never shocked. He's always present. 
He's always there for you when you need him. He'll always answer. You know, there's moments in my life where I might say, man, I feel like I'm praying consistently, but my prayers just feel like they're hitting the ceiling. God, are you really hearing it? Sometimes God just says, wait, but it's an answer. It's a worst answer, but it's an answer. He always answers. He doesn't, he doesn't, he hasn't created you and just stuck you on this round ball and said, figure it out. He says, I have a plan and a purpose for you that is what? Good. Well, my life's not good. Yeah, but God's good. The goodness of God is something that we need to be constantly diving into and celebrating and being motivated by. Right? So, but he's not just good. He doesn't just save people because he's good. It says the goodness and loving kindness. Loving kindness. This two words put together are interesting. Um, sometimes I'm kind and not loving. You? Like, I'm like, I'm going to be kind to you, but I don't want to. I mean, frankly, sometimes I'm a pastor, right? So I go, I'm going to be kind to you because I'm supposed to be. But I don't want to be. Right? We all have experienced moments when you've chosen kindness. I mean, there's all kinds of sayings, right? We get more honey from kindness than we do from anger, whatever. But loving kindness together. It means that God is kind, but the motivation behind his kindness is love. That changes everything for me. Because it's, it's difficult. Like, I do things a lot for maybe for people that I don't want to do. Like I said, it's not out of love. It's just out of maybe duty. Right? We do that. And it's hard to picture God doing something out of duty. It's hard to picture Jesus going to the cross for me and going, I'm going to do this out of kindness, but I don't really want to be here. The fact that we know that he did it out of loving kindness changes the entire game. Because he doesn't say, well, you know what? I'm begrudgingly going to allow you to put nails in my hands. Instead, I'm going to let this happen because I love you. That, I mean, if the world functioned in loving kindness, the world would be different. But we can't, right? It's, it's enough for us to say, man, I was just kind. Forget love, right? <laughs> it's like uh, somebody, I remember when my kids were growing up, I think I said the word stupid or something. And I don't remember which one of my kids it was, but they're like, Dad, you said the S word. And I'm like, that's not the S word. I said, <laughs> I said stupid to avoid the other, right? <laughs> like I made a conscious decision to not say what I wanted to say because my kids were here and I said something else, right? Like I, I didn't do that out of love. I did that out of duty because I didn't want my kid to have a potty mouth, right? God says, look, I love you. I'm kind and I'm good. And this is the reason that I save you. 
Now here's the rub, and we're going to get there. There's no component to anything that I've just said that has anything to do with my behavior. And this is the other part that's so crazy. Scripture says that he died for us while we were still sinners. Right? He loved me when I was rebellious. He loves me when I don't call him good. He loves me when I don't understand his loving kindness. He loves me when I choose to do things for the wrong reason. It never goes away. It's not conditional, I guess is the best word. Like, we don't understand that. All of our love is typically conditional. I mean, if you really think about it, there comes a point when somebody will push you to a point where you say, I mean, you've heard this in movies, right? I've fallen out of love with you. What does that mean? It means I used to love you, at least I think I did, but now I don't anymore. God doesn't do that. He's not like, hey, if you behave this way, I will love you, and if you behave this way, I won't. He says, I'm always good. I always have loving kindness. I want this to sink in. Because I think one of my biggest issues when it comes to understanding who God is is attempting to characterize God by my experience in life with other people. Right? He's God. He's not like me. Praise God. He's not like you. Praise God. He's other. Right? He... He attempts, he writes this book so that we can attempt to understand things in our language, in our world that makes kind of sense to us. But if you don't read Scripture and come up with more questions about God, there's something wrong. Like, Because we want to ask the why. Well, why is he good and why is he loving? Why does he display loving kind? I don't know. But what I do know is that makes him worthy of worship. Because he does what I can't do. Always. It's just phenomenal. But the goodness, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, you ready for this? Verse 5, he saved us. He saved us. I'll say it again. He saved us. I tell you guys all the time that the first step to seeing Jesus as Savior is realizing that you need one, right? Um, I, like, I like to exercise. I like sports. I like doing things. And I, there's moments in your whatever, athletic career or whatever it is, where your pride is pushing you. So I'll give you an example, right? So I was at the gym a few days ago, and I went up in weight, and I'm like, I can do this. Has anybody ever attempted to bench press too much weight? It's really embarrassing. <laughs> right? Because you're like, I've got this. And then you lift and nothing happens. <laughs> right? And then what do you have to do? Help somebody help me. <laughs> right? I don't know a single person in this gym, but I'm begging for your help. Right? 
And it's typically like the weakest person in the gym that's the most willing to come over. And I'm like, can you lift this? <laughs> right? And but the, do you follow me? Like most of the time we'll be like, if you want to use that as a metaphor in life. Most of the time we'll be in that situation where we're like, I've still got this. Right? Man, my life's a mess. There's a bunch going on. I got it. I just got to change some behaviors. I got this. I can handle that if I, I just got to force myself not to do that or I have to force myself to stay away from this or whatever it is. I got this. And all that is is this constant Americanized understanding of Scripture where we have to have this self-dependence upon ourselves continuously, right? We declare independence. I can do it. I can do it. That's not conducive to the gospel, in order to grasp the gospel to its full extent, we have to actually get to a place where we go, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's not in me. It doesn't exist. And if I think it does, I've lied to myself. And we, we, come, we have to come to this place in our lives where we realize, I am, I am a dirty, rotten sinner. I am depraved. My mind, if you saw my mind, you would be horrified. And if I saw yours, I would be too. It's not pretty. He saved us. He saved us. Do you, that word save means that you, your life was in peril. And he saved us. Why? Because he's good. Because he's a God of loving kindness. He saves us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. I don't know what your background is, but I will, I'm going to make a very generalized statement. Every religion in the world and the most popular in Boston is secular humanism, right? I am God and there is no other. Every religion in the world will tell you, you have to earn it. Except the gospel which says you can't. Every religion of the world will tell you, your life is an attempt to do something worthy of being saved, worthy of moving on, worthy of your existence. Accept the gospel. At the heart of mankind, right? Just at the heart of every single person in this room, we will say, I need to earn it. I have to earn it. And I want to brag about what I've earned. Right? This is where the gospel turns everything upside down. It's so wrapped up in making sure that it has nothing to do with us. That it eliminates any ability for us to say, oh yeah, look what I did. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. 
Scripture says that there is none righteous. Not one. Not one. There's Old Testament stories of individuals saying, hey, let's find some righteous people. (laughs) Didn't find any. The disciples weren't righteous. I'll say something really bad. Mary wasn't righteous. There's not one that's righteous. What is righteous? Righteous is something that's only tied in Scripture also to God Himself, like goodness. There's the only righteousness that you can see in an individual is if the Lord works His righteousness through a person. But that person then becomes the tool of His righteousness. They don't generate their own. And I think that's probably the, the biggest rub here is I, I, I believe I can be righteous. I believe that I can generate it. I can do good works. Oftentimes I'll talk to guys who want to come in and plant churches or they want to be pastors and I'm listening to them and I'm talking and I'm like, you know what your problem is? You still think you can do this. You still think that you have the ability to accomplish this. And until you get to a place where you believe you can't, then the Lord's not going to move. I've come to a place in my life where I realize that I don't even want to try (laughs) to do it. Because I've learned that in my own strength, I blow it. Consistently. It never stops. (laughs) Like, there's an old saying that says the hardest thing about being a living sacrifice is that you can remove yourself from the altar at any point, right? And I feel like a lot of times that's kind of how my life is dictated. I'm like, if this is the altar, I'll step up on it. I'm like, God, do your work. Like, this is yours. You do it. I am incapable. You have to show up. And then maybe he will, and then I'll step down and go, look what I did, You've heard me say this before. It's like, God, look, you're so lucky to have me. Hey, did you see what I did for you? You know, I've used this before, but it's something that I say repeatedly because mainly I need to hear it over and over. What exactly are you going to do to impress a holy God? What do you got? Hey, I helped that lady across the street. Great, I made a giraffe. What do you got? Like, can you imagine standing before a creator being who is all good and all loving kindness and say, let me tell you why I deserve to be in your presence? That's what this is saying. We're we're working to try to please a God that we can't possibly please because we've been created by him. There's no way. What are you going to do? So you know what we do instead? We go, I can't please that God because I'm not good enough and I'm not righteous enough, but I'm more righteous than that person. One of the best things I think that mankind can produce is the ability to find somebody we believe is lesser than us. Right? I mean, that's where sins like racism come from, sexism, all of that. You've got to find somebody that's different, worse, 
that I'm better than because then I feel more righteous. He says, look, you know, we talk about the hardships of this a lot, but I don't think oftentimes we talk about the gift of this. I remember I had this friend who told me once, you know, I, I'm doing good works all the time because I want to make sure that when I die, let's say I'm in a car wreck, I want to be doing something good so that my last act wasn't bad so that when I face God, I have something good to my credit. I'm like, I can't think of a more exhausting life. Like Jesus says, I've come to give you peace. I've come to give you <laughs> goodness. I'm loving and kind. Living a life where that is stressing you out consistently is not good. It's egotistical, right? The, the good side of this, you ready, is it's not dependent upon you. The church as a whole doesn't celebrate that enough. You know, oftentimes I'll say something like, hey, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace. Sometimes when I say I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, it's a celebration. Not in the fact that I sin, but in the fact that it's not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon him. He saved us. I don't save myself. He does it. I... So last night I went, we were cooking this meal and we were at a sriracha, which is like a mortal sin. And so I ran down to this little market and I, they actually had sriracha. They never have what I want, but they actually had sriracha. And I'm, buying, I'm, getting, I'm behind this, this woman who drops $400 on the lotto. Lotto? Is that what it's called here? Lottery? Whatever. I don't know what it is. Numbers, right? I don't, know, I don't play it. And she's like... She, I mean, he's just printing ticket after ticket, and I'm looking at the clerk that's putting all this stuff in the machine, and I'm like, I just want to buy some sriracha. Like, can we, can we just move on? And, and he's exhausted putting these things in the machine, and it's spitting out these numbers over and over and over, and he hands her a, a stack of papers about this thick. And she turns and looks at me holding these with desperation in her voice and her eyes and goes, one of these has to be a winner. And I'm like... You realize that even in those moments, what you're attempting to do is say, I have the ability to make my life better and money's going to do it and therefore I am going to put everything that I've got on red. Right? I'm pretty certain she did not win. What is it? What is it? in your life right now, where you would say, man, if I just had this, or if I could just do this, or if I, if I could just find a way to conjure up this, then I will be good enough. Then I will be able to achieve that which I've longed for. The problem is, I mean, that's a, a very American point of view, and go America, right? But when we trans transfer that over into our theology, it becomes very dangerous. 
It's, can you imagine going to bed and going, I think God was disappointed in me today because of the way that I lived? And if I die in my sleep, I don't know what's going to happen. And then the next day you come home and go, on a scale from 1 to 10 compared to some other people, I did really good today. So if I die in my sleep, maybe I'll have a chance. Ephesians 2.8.9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. Why? So that no one can boast. That's a really important verse. And Paul is reiterating that here. He's saying, I want you to understand that the gospel has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. And when we attempt to hijack the gospel and believe that it has something to do with this, it's no longer gospel because it's no longer good news. Because anything dependent upon me will utterly fail. I, listen, you don't want a belief system that is dependent upon you being good. And if you truly search your heart, you're going to realize that what I just said is true. You want a belief system and a savior that says, regardless of who you are, I love you. Not because of works done by in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit. We have this why he does it. We move into this kind of how he does it. And he talks about the Holy Spirit. And there's two fancy words here. Well, a phrase, washing of regeneration and then renewal of the Holy Spirit, right? So if you've been in church world very long, you know that if you give your life to Jesus, a few things happen, right? It says that your, your, heart is, your, your heart of stone is removed and he gives you a heart of flesh. Um, we sometimes call it you're born again, right? John chapter 3, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. We didn't make that up. If you're like, Jesus freak, Jesus actually said that. You have to be born again, right? Um, it says that the Holy Spirit enters us and never leaves us. The fullness of the Spirit at your moment of faith in Jesus enters you. It's that Spirit that actually breaks the bonds of your slavery to sin. Because the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in every single believer, and you have that same power. Now, we won't tap into that power very often because we're stubborn and foolish, but it's there. Meaning you have at that moment the ability to say, in the power and grace of Jesus, I'm no longer going to be a slave to that sin. It doesn't come from you, it comes from him. Right? So there's two things here that, that transpire here when we get the, that, how does he do this? Well, the first is the washing of regeneration. The word regeneration is one of my favorite words in scripture. You know, and I don't, everybody likes regeneration. You like things that were bad and that are now renewed, right? You like that. I'm the, I, I mean, I've gone into some college dorms where I'm like, you guys don't like regeneration. You just like messes, right? But most people like to live in a world that looks regenerated and somewhat. I'm going to make this look the best that I possibly can. My car right now is in need of regeneration because it needs a bath, right? And it will look better. We like regeneration. We like the idea of something that doesn't look great looking good. We go to the gym. Why? <laughs> well, it's healthy. It's great. But I also, man, I feel better. I look better. I, I have more energy. It's all good stuff. 
Regeneration. Regeneration in Scripture means that something that is bad has become something better. Something that is dead is given life. And that's probably the most important component. It it says that in our sin, we are dead. We live this life where we have no choice but to sin because we are slaves. Uh, Scripture says that outside of Christ, even what we attempt to do that's good is but filthy rags to Him. Some of you have heard me describe that. I won't. It's an intense imagery. Our best behavior, God goes, (laughs) that's really sad. Right? So He says, look, The gospel isn't here to like put a new cover on you. The gospel here is to completely change you, to completely regenerate you. Paul uses this analogy in scripture. He he calls individuals whitewashed tombs. Have you heard this phrase before? It's really kind of a cool imagery when you think about it. He's he's describing something that's dead but looks clean and alive, right? So he's saying, look, individuals, we'll try to clean ourselves up. We'll try to put on a facade. We'll try to act like we've got it all together, right? In church world, we call that a mask. In fact, I'll go on to say, like, if you came in here thinking you had to put on a mask, you've missed it because you're in a room of just dirty, rotten sinners who just believe that Jesus is good. Right? We're all a mess. There's no masks needed. In fact, if you keep the mask on, we're going to have some major issues down the line. So, regeneration is this ability where God says, you are dead. You may attempt to clean yourself up by... By human standards, you may look great. Man, you're a physical specimen. Or, man, you are doing just really nice things, right? By the standard of whatever culture you live in, you've got it together. But without Jesus, you are just a dead person walking that looks cleaned up. A whitewashed tomb. We just hose down the outside and everything looks good. I mean, we live in a city called Boston, right? You know this. Like, if you've lived here very long, you see these landlords that will do this, where the inside of the apartments are dumps, and then they kind of whitewash the outside, right? Hey, let's put some new siding on this building. It's still terrible, but now on the outside, it looks good so we can jack up prices. It's just a whitewashed tomb, right? Regeneration means... We're going to bulldoze that thing down and build something that's beautiful on both the inside and the outside. If you're here today and you know Jesus personally, you have been regenerated. The Holy Spirit cut the chain of slavery to sin. The Holy Spirit gave you a new heart. God looks at you through the veil of Jesus' work and goes, perfect. Regeneration. I just, 
I don't want to keep pounding on this one, but I want you to think, like, what in your life have you attempted to change without pure regeneration? How well does that work? How long does it sustain? It doesn't. So we have this moment, right? Everybody wants to say, okay, like, okay, Jesus came. Pastor Matt said this earlier. He lived the life that I was supposed to live, meaning perfect. And then he died the death that I deserve. And then three days later, he conquered sin, Satan, and death forever. And you're like, okay, well, then how am I saved? Well, you're saved through faith in what Jesus did instead of faith in yourself. The hardest thing about the gospel is that it asks you to be completely regenerated in every way. It asks you to take your dependency off yourself and place it on Jesus. It asks you to get to a place where you say, I am a dirty, rotten sinner who does need a Savior, and I can't save myself. And Jesus is the Savior. And in that moment when we believe that in faith, it says that's when we come to Christ. That's when an actual moment, there's like an, a regeneration process. You've moved from death to life, from slave to free. However you want to describe it. So that's regeneration, but it says that the Holy Spirit also does something else. It's, it says the renewal of the Holy Spirit. This word renewal in the original language means a constant progression so the fancy word is sanctification. The word sanctification literally means to be set aside. So Jesus renews you by faith in what he's done and removing faith from yourself. And then he says, listen, you're renewed and now I'm going to help you live a life that's defined by renewal of me. It's no good to say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and not live a renewed life. What's the point? Right? That's just fire insurance. It's, 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 not, it's not the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is Jesus has come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. That's, that's written in the present tense. It's as soon as you know me, your life is supposed to look different. It won't be perfect. It's a process. And you'll never be perfect. And this is where hypocrisy comes into play. This is why people look at the church and they're like, you claim to be Jesus, you know, you claim to love Jesus, but that's not very Christ-like. Have you ever heard anybody say that to you? Well, Jesus wouldn't do that. You know what I usually say to them? You're right, and I'm not Jesus. But I know him. And I'm pretty certain Jesus wouldn't have done that. And now i got to repent. Sanctification is a process. You don't come to faith in Jesus and then everything becomes perfect. In fact, I'm just going to, this is a great sales pitch. If you come to faith in Jesus, things get harder and easier. When I'm, when I'm a slave to something, I have no choice but to do it. I don't even have to make any decisions. You know, I, I picture my old life as, okay, I was a slave to sin. Therefore, the only decisions I made was how I was going to sin. How far do I want to take this? What do I want to do? In Christ, I have a lot of decisions. There's freedom. But I'm still a work in progress. And Scripture tells me that I'm going to be a work in progress until the day that I die or Jesus returns. 
Why? Because I'm still living in a sin-cursed body in a sin-cursed world. And I have to deal with that. I still have this battle. I didn't have a battle before. Now I have a battle going on inside of me, and that makes things hard. My flesh says I want that, and my spirit says, don't you dare, because that's going to hurt. There's going to be ramifications for that. I love that Jesus will take you exactly as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up. We've established this. Can't sign on you anyway, but he doesn't leave you that way. Because we do that. Right? We'll be like, oh, I'll help you, and then good luck. Right? I'm always processing the stories of the individuals that I meet. So everybody has the rules. Like, if anybody ever approaches me, and if you've been with me long, you'll know this. We're walking through the city. Somebody asks for food, I'll always give them food. Always. I've never said no. Ever. Like, hey, I, I don't have any cash, but I can get you food. Actually, I have said no in, in the aspect that sometimes I'm near the coffee house, and I'm like, go in there and tell them Kevin said to give me food. And hopefully the people in there do it. But I do wonder about the stories. Like, I try to... I try to couple that with gospel conversations. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. Sometimes it's just building a relationship, and I hope I'll see this person again. Sometimes it's just planting seeds. But I also wonder about the story. Like, I just fed you, but did I... It's like, okay, go eat now and have a full belly, and I hope life changes. But the reality is it won't. Right? We... We look at each other sometimes and we're like, I'm going to do this because that seems right or feels good, but I'm not going to walk through the sanctification process with you. Discipleship. You know, Church at the Well, we say that we're attempting by God's grace to make disciples of Jesus who worship him and find their greatest joy in bringing him glory. That's the purpose of Church at the Well. So discipleship, right? But discipleship isn't necessarily just bringing, explaining Christ to somebody. It's actually walking in the sanctification process with them. It's beautiful. Do you know why? Because I, at some point, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to piss you off. You're like, you're not supposed to say that. I did. At some point, you're going to go, he shouldn't have said that, or I wish you wouldn't have done that or whatever it is. You put your faith and trust in me, it's all over because I'm going to make you mad. And I'm going to tell you right now, at some point you're going to make me mad. But you know what discipleship is? It's coming together and going, because we're family in Christ and families are messy. Anybody in here not have a messed up family? <laughs> Find one. You won't. We're all mess. Families are messy. I liken it to marriage, right? I mean, think from a gospel standpoint, do you realize what marriage is? It's two utterly sinful beings trying to come together and think and process and do life always. And you're like, man, that doesn't even sound appealing. <laughs> like when, we got, when I married Christy, I brought all of my crap with me. And you know what she did? Brought all of hers with her too. And the discipleship process of marriage is we're going to walk through this together without ever abandoning one another. And your crap has now become mine. That's discipleship. 
You get mad at each other. You get upset. You hurt each other. You get angry. We deal with different personalities in the church. I mean, we are schizophrenic when it comes to people in here, right? I mean, we are all over the place, all over the map with personalities. But you learn to love an individual's personality and say, man, thank God you are who you are in Christ. And we work together as a family. We walk through the sanctification process knowing that God and Jesus will finish the work that he started. And then when we blow it, we call each other to repentance. One of the beautiful things about the church and what, what happens here in the gospel is that it's a, a family unit that moves together, dealing with each other, calling each other to repent, calling each other to hope, reminding each other of the grace that we have in Jesus. And saying, in Christ, we may not be the best of friends, but we're brothers and sisters. And we walk together. Right? That's the beauty of the gospel. When I say that, like, what's so fascinating about the gospel is that through regeneration and through the renewal of the Holy Spirit, it brings everybody to the same place. It's the great equalizer. You obtain a relationship with Jesus by doing the exact same thing. Dirty, rotten sinner, need a savior. Oh, you too? Great. We have something in common. Now that we both know we're believers, we're walking through this life together, and I'm trying to figure out how the gospel applies to every scenario that I'm going through. That's, that's what gospel, living out the gospel is. It's not just going, thanks for, the, thanks for the help and knowing that one day I'll be with you for eternity. It's actually going, how do I walk this life in a holy way by His grace? We come across certain things and go, oh, I don't know what to do. Okay. What does the gospel speak in this situation? Verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ, Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Why does he save us? Because he's good? Because he's loving kindness? How does he save us? Through the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit? What does he save us for to be a part of who he is? I love this because the Trinity's here. God creates the plan. Jesus fulfills the plan. The Holy Spirit works out the plan. Right? It's There's no loneliness in Christianity. There's not supposed to be. Right? Why? Because you're a vessel of the Holy Spirit with faith in Jesus. You're never alone. There's not... A Christ follower. I mean, there's moments where we feel lonely, but there's not a Christ follower who should ever say, man, I, I have no like, fellowship. I, have, I feel unloved. Or I feel hopeless. All of that's addressed in the gospel. The moments that I feel the most lonely, the moments that I feel the most depressed, the moments that I feel the most... <laughs> unworthy are typically, if I go back, it's the moments that I've removed myself from the fellowship. You know, so I, 
I, have, I come from a broken family. Like, so, I'll tell you my story if you want to. We can sit down and have some coffee. I, I, it's pretty messed up, to be honest. Like, I can tell you, if I associated the church with my family, I wouldn't want to be around any one of you. Because I don't know that I could go through that hurt again. The beauty of the gospel, the what, is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, this great equalizer where everybody says, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace, walking through a process of trying to apply the gospel to my life in whatever God is calling me to, I do it not alone. I do it with others. He... He saves us to bring us into a family. I mean, if you like theology, we have this God who's a Trinitarian God. Do you realize that God's never felt loneliness? Because he's never been on his own. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, it's like this, this perfect Trinitarian relationships that's there and that when we give our lives to Jesus, we're invited into that relationship. It... Okay, so some of you in here are engaged. And it's funny because like, before you were engaged, maybe you went through a dating process and you're like, I can't find the right person, right? Whoever that is, and then you get engaged and now you want everybody else around you to be engaged. You gotta get engaged, it's so good. You have to get engaged, like get engaged, get engaged, get engaged, gotta get married, right? Three years after marriage, you're like, don't get married, don't get married, don't get married, <laughs> right? Because things change. Uh, when, when we look at kind of this family of God, this privilege of what you've been able to be brought into, I think what we don't do well enough is we don't express the joy of actually not having to be alone any longer. Every church gets a bad rap. Well, it's filled with hypocrites. My answer to that is you are correct. I'll be the first to tell you I'm a hypocrite. I say I want to live one way, I don't often do it, but please... The reality is so are you, so let's just drop that one. You say you want to live a certain way and you don't do it either. So we can just, wouldn't it be great if the world just went, ah, oh, we're just a bunch of hypocrites, <laughs> right? Perfect, now we can move past that one. The issue with the church is that we have a tendency to eat our own. We put expectations on each other that shouldn't necessarily be there. We'll look at our brother and sister in Christ and go, I have this expectation for you, but Jesus doesn't, but I do. And then when you don't meet that expectation, church canceling is worse than like culture cancel. It's awful. And then it displays something to the world that ultimately says, see, the place is disaster. I think we just need to own the fact that we're disaster, but we have an answer. We're all sick, we all have a disease, the disease is sin, but we have the remedy and that's Jesus. Right? Sometimes you have to go to the hospital. Sometimes they screw up. Sometimes they don't. Hopefully they don't very often. Right? But we don't go, man, they screwed up once and the next time I'm dying, I'm not going back to the hospital. In Christ, 
You are adopted into the family of God. You are brought into a Trinitarian relationship that's perfect. You have a father that is nothing like your earthly father. You have a brother and a king that is nothing like the politicians that we see. Nothing like your brother. You have a guide in the person of the Holy Spirit that supersedes the mess that we make of our own life by speaking to us on a moment-by-moment basis. That, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Everything else that we've added to it shouldn't be there. Everything else that's been complicated shouldn't be there. It's complicated because we're messed up people and we complicate things. But the gospel itself is very simple. You become a new person and you get to walk with other new people. I'll end with this. I, if you're here today and you know Jesus and say that you hate his church, you don't understand the gospel. I, I want you to grasp this just very simply. You've accepted eternal life with Jesus by putting your faith and trust in him. The people you say you hate, you're going to be with for eternity. Do you understand that? Like, process that for just a second. You're like, I can't wait to get to heaven to be with all the people that I shunned in my life. <laughs> yes, everyone will be perfect, but the reality is like, I'm, I picture this. I'm like... I can probably tell you at the great banquet who I'm going to be sitting by. It's the people I, in life I don't want to. Right? Because I think Jesus is hilarious. <laughs> That's the gospel. So what do we do with this? I mean, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I just want to tell you this. Like, I love you enough to tell you this. The rat race that you fill your on will never end without Jesus. I also love you enough to tell you this, you're never going to be good enough. Ever. I'm not telling you to stop, but I am telling you to remove your faith from yourself and put it in something that actually you can put faith in. So how do you do that? Well, we're not going to like wave a wand over you or like have you do something odd. It's just transference of, of trust. It's, it's saying, I know I'm a dirty, rotten sinner coming into contact with their own depravity. I know that I need a savior. I know that Jesus died for me. I know that he loves me. And I believe that he died for me and rose again. And I'll put all of my faith and trust in that. It says in that moment, your heart is regenerated. It's, I mean, if that's you and you're like, what do I do? I ask some questions. Like, you can come talk to me if you want. I'll, I'll walk you through whatever you want. But turn to the person next to you and say, hey, do you know Jesus? And if they say yes, say, can we have a conversation? Like, I know a really good coffee shop. There's three, actually. You can pick one. And let's have some coffee and have a conversation about it. Um. If you're here today and you feel this tugging at your heart, soul, however you want to describe it, I don't know what, I don't have words for it. I just know that when the Holy Spirit's moving, you know that something's happening. 
And if that's you, then I would invite you, man, give your life to Jesus right now. For the church, for those of you who profess Jesus as Savior and Lord, do you really understand the gospel? Is it defined in your life? Is it observed in your life? Is it constantly the, the metric by which you filter everything through? See, I, I think that that last one is so key because in our sanctification process, that's really what it's about. It's a constant reminder that I can't do it, so I'm removing things from myself and giving them to Jesus. Because there's still things in my life that I think I can do. So in my sanctification, it's going, Jesus, I'm coming to the understanding, and I should have come to this a long time ago, but I know I can't do this anymore, so how does your gospel speak into this? How do I declare a greater dependency upon you? Instead of a declaration of independence, we need to declare a declaration of dependence upon Jesus. Where in your life are you not dependent upon him? Where in your life... Does the gospel need to be injected? And it's not right now. Is it in relationships? It is in marriage? Is it with your kids? Is it at school? Is it at work? Is it here? Is it in your attitude? Is it in finding a calming peace in Christ? I mean, it could be anything. But there's nothing in the life of a Christ follower that the gospel doesn't speak into. So as you're being sanctified, what's next? You know you haven't arrived. What's he doing in you? What do you need to give over to him? Imagine a church. This church in this little neighborhood of East Boston. Imagine a church that had people attending that put their faith in Jesus and said, you know what? I'm gonna apply the gospel to every decision that I make. I'm gonna apply the gospel to every interaction that I have. I'm gonna apply the gospel of grace in the things that I say. What would happen? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I, I don't, uh, a human being flawed, forgiven, but still deal with sin. Imperfect being attempting to describe a perfect gospel. I can't do it. Lord, I trust that you've done something in here today. I pray, Lord, for anybody in this room right now who's never put their faith and trust in Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would regenerate their heart. Lord, I ask that you would save them. I, I pray, Lord, that they would come to this place where they realize that what they've been doing isn't working. Lord, give them regeneration. Remove that heart of stone. Give them a heart of flesh. Give them the ability to believe in the faith, Lord. Lord, I ask that nobody would leave this room without the hope of Christ in their life. 
Lord, for your church, I just pray that you would remind us that you are good. That you function from a place of loving kindness. That you care. That you save people. Lord, I, I ask that your gospel would be at the essence of every ounce of our being. Lord, I pray that we would not get in the way of that. And Lord, whatever we need to give over to you in this room, I ask, Lord, that your gospel, your grace would pour over us. Lord, don't let us stay here or leave here the same. Lord, may your word speak to our hearts in a way that we change. Help us to live lives defined by repentance and, and true sanctification in the gospel. And Lord, remind us of the joy and the privilege it is to know a God that created us in a personal way. Lastly, Lord, I pray we would love one another. And may the gospel speak into every relationship, every heartbreak, every moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.